Book Two, Chapter Three, Part Two of The Octopus by Frank Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. They talked on for about an hour while the evening wore away. Presley very soon noticed that Vanamy was again preoccupied. More than ever of late, his silence, his brooding, had increased. By and by he rose abruptly, turning his head to the north in the direction of the mission church of San Juan. "'I think,' he said to Presley, "'that I must be going.' "'Going? Where to at this time of night?' "'Off there.' Vanamy made an uncertain gesture toward the north. "'Good-bye.' And without another word he disappeared in the gray of the twilight. Presley was left alone, wondering. He found his horse, and, tightening the girths, mounted and rode home under the sheen of the stars, thoughtful, his head bowed. Before he went to bed that night, he sent the toilers to the Sunday editor of a daily newspaper in San Francisco. Upon leaving Presley, Vanamy, his thumbs hooked into his empty cartridge belt, strode swiftly down from the hills of the Los Muertos stock range and on through the silent town of Guadalajara. His lean, swarthy face with its hollow cheeks, fine, black-pointed beard, and sad eyes was set to the northward. As was his custom, he was bareheaded, and the rapidity of his stride made a breeze in his long, black hair. He knew where he was going. He knew what he must live through that night. Again the deathless grief that never slept leaped out of the shadows and fastened upon his shoulders. It was scourging him back to that scene of a vanished happiness, a dead romance, a perished idol, the mission garden in the shade of the venerable pear trees. But besides this, other influences tugged at his heart. There was a mystery in the garden. In that spot the night was not always empty, the darkness not always silent. Something far off stirred and listened to his cry, at times drawing nearer to him. At first this presence had been a matter for terror, but of late, as he felt it gradually drawing nearer, the terror had at long intervals given place to a feeling of an almost ineffable sweetness. But distrusting his own senses, unwilling to submit himself to such torturing, uncertain happiness, averse to the terrible confusion of spirit that followed upon a night spent in the garden, Vanamy had tried to keep away from the place. However, when the sorrow of his life reassailed him, and the thoughts and recollections of Angele brought the ache into his heart and the tears to his eyes, the temptation to return to the garden invariably gripped him close. There were times when he could not resist. Of themselves his footsteps turned in that direction. It was almost as if he himself had been called. Guadalajara was silent, dark. Not even in Solotari's was there a light. The town was asleep. Only the inevitable guitar hummed from an unseen dobe. Vanamy pushed on. The smell of the fields and open country and a distant scent of flowers that he knew well came to his nostrils as he emerged from the town by way of the road that led on toward the mission through Quien Sabe. On either side of him lay the brown earth, silently nurturing the implanted seed. 
Two days before it had rained copiously, and the soil, still moist, disengaged a pungent aroma of fecundity. Vanamy, following the road, passed through the collection of buildings of Annixter's home ranch. Everything slept. At intervals the air motor on the artesian well creaked audibly, as it turned in a languid breeze from the northeast. A cat, hunting field mice, crept from the shadow of the gigantic barn and paused uncertainly in the open, the tip of her tail twitching. From within the barn itself came the sound of the friction of a heavy body and a stir of hoofs, as one of the dozing cows lay down with a long breath. Vanamy left the ranch house behind him and proceeded on his way. Beyond him, to the right of the road, he could make out the higher ground in the mission enclosure, and the watching tower of the mission itself. The minutes passed. He went steadily forward. Then abruptly he paused, his head in the air, eye and ear alert. To that strange sixth sense of his, responsive as the leaves of the sensitive plant, had suddenly come the impression of a human being near at hand. He had neither seen nor heard, but for all that he stopped an instant in his tracks, then the sensation confirmed, went on again with slow steps, advancing warily. At last his swiftly roving eyes lighted upon an object just darker than the grey-brown of the night-ridden land. It was at some distance from the roadside. Vanamee approached it cautiously, leaving the road, treading carefully upon the moist clods of earth underfoot. Twenty paces distant he halted. Annixter was there seated upon a round white rock, his back toward him. He was leaning forward, his elbows on his knees, his chin in his hands. He did not move, silent, motionless. He gazed out upon the flat, somber land. It was the night wherein the master of Quien Sabe wrought out his salvation, struggling with self from dusk to dawn. At the moment when Vanamee came upon him, the turmoil within him had only begun. The heart of the man had not yet wakened. The night was young, the dawn far distant, and all around him the fields of upturned clods lay bare and brown, empty of all life, unbroken by a single green shoot. For a moment the life circles of these two men of so widely differing characters touched each other, there in the silence of the night under the stars. Then, silently, Vanamee withdrew, going on his way, wondering at the trouble that, like himself, drove this hard-headed man of affairs untroubled by dreams out into the night to brood over an empty land. Then speedily he forgot all else. The material world drew off from him. Reality dwindled to a point and vanished like the vanishing of a star at moonrise earthly things dissolved and disappeared as a strange unnamed essence flowed in upon him. A new atmosphere for him pervaded his surroundings. He entered the world of the vision, of the legend, of the miracle, where all things were possible. He stood at the gate of the mission garden. Above him rose the ancient tower of the mission church. Through the arches at its summit where swung the Spanish queen's bells, he saw the slow-burning stars, the silent bats with flickering wings, threw their dancing shadows on the pallid surface of the venerable façade. 
Not the faintest churring of a cricket broke the silence. The bees were asleep. In the grasses, in the trees, deep in the calyx of punka flower and magnolia bloom, the gnats, the caterpillars, the beetles, all the microscopic multitudinous life of the daytime drowsed and dozed. Not even the minute scuffling of a lizard over the warm, worn pavement of the colonnade disturbed the infinite repose, the profound stillness. Only within the garden the intermittent trickling of the fountain made itself heard, flowing steadily, marking off the lapse of seconds, the progress of hours, the cycle of years, the inevitable march of centuries. At one time the doorway before which Vanamy now stood had been hermetically closed, but he himself had long since changed that. He stood before it for a moment, steeping himself in the mystery and romance of the place, then raising the latch, pushed open the gate, entered, and closed it softly behind him. He was in the cloister garden. The stars were out, strewn thick and close in the deep blue of the sky, the Milky Way glowing like a silver veil. Ursa Major wheeled gigantic in the north. The great nebula in Orion was a whirl of shimmering star dust. Venus flamed a lambent disk of pale saffron low over the horizon. From edge to edge of the world marched the constellations like the progress of emperors, and from the innumerable glory of their courses a mysterious sheen of diaphanous light disengaged itself, expanding over all the earth, serene, infinite, majestic. The little garden revealed itself but dimly beneath the brooding light, only half emerging from the shadow. The polished surfaces of the leaves of the pear trees winked faintly back the reflected light as the trees just stirred in the uncertain breeze. A blurred shield of silver marked the ripples of the fountain. Under the flood of dull blue luster the graveled walks lay vague amid the grasses, like webs of white satin on the bed of a lake. Against the eastern wall, the headstones of the graves, an indistinct procession of gray cowls, ranged themselves. Vanamy crossed the garden, pausing to kiss the turf upon Angele's grave. Then he approached the line of pear trees and laid himself down in their shadow, his chin propped upon his hands, his eyes wandering over the expanse of the little valley that stretched away from the foot of the hill upon which the mission was built. Once again he summoned the vision. Once again he conjured up the illusion. Once again, tortured with doubt, racked with a deathless grief, he craved an answer of the night. Once again, mystic that he was, he sent his mind out from him across the enchanted sea of the supernatural. Hope of what he did not know roused up within him. Surely on such a night as this, the hallucination must define itself. Surely the manifestation must be vouchsafed. His eyes closed, his will girding itself to a supreme effort, his senses exalted to a state of pleasing numbness. He called upon Angele to come to him, his voiceless cry penetrating far out into that sea of faint ephemeral light that floated tideless over the little valley beneath him. Then motionless, prone upon the ground. He waited. 
Months had passed since that first night when at length an answer had come to Vanamee. At first, startled out of all composure, troubled and stirred to his lowest depths because of the very thing of which he sought, he resolved never again to put his strange powers to the test. But for all of that, he had come a second night to the garden, and a third, and a fourth. At last, his visits were habitual. Night after night he was there, surrendering himself to the influences of the place, gradually convinced that something did actually answer when he called. His faith increased as the winter grew into spring. As the spring advanced and the nights became shorter, it crystallized into certainty. Would he have her again, his love, long dead? Would she come to him once more out of the grave, out of the night? He could not tell. He could only hope. All that he knew was that his cry found an answer, that his outstretched hands, groping in the darkness, met the touch of other fingers. Patiently he waited. The nights became warmer as the spring drew on. The stars shone clearer. The nights seemed brighter. For nearly a month after the occasion of his first answer, nothing new occurred. Some nights it failed him entirely. Upon others it was faint elusive. Then at last the most subtle, the barest of perceptible changes began, his groping mind far off there, wandering like a lost bird over the valley, touched upon some thing again, touched and held it, and this time drew it a single step closer to him. His heart beating, the blood surging in his temples, he watched with the eyes of his imagination this gradual approach. What? was coming to him. Who was coming to him? Shrouded in the obscurity of the night, whose was the face now turned toward his? Whose the footsteps that with such infinite slowness drew nearer to where he waited? He did not dare to say. His mind went back many years to that time before the tragedy of Angele's death, before the mystery of the other. He waited then, as he waited now. But then he had not waited in vain. Then, as now, he had seemed to feel her approach, seemed to feel her drawing nearer and nearer to their rendezvous. Now, what would happen? He did not know. He waited. He waited, hoping all things. He waited, believing all things. He waited, enduring all things. He trusted in the vision. Meanwhile, as spring advanced, the flowers in the seed ranch began to come to life. Over the five hundred acres whereon the flowers were planted, the widening growth of vines and bushes spread like the waves of a green sea. Then, timidly, colors of the faintest tints began to appear. Under the moonlight, Vanamee saw them expanding, delicate pink, faint blue, tenderest variations of lavender and yellow, white shimmering with reflections of gold, all subdued and pallid in the moonlight. By degrees the night became impregnated with the perfume of the flowers, elusive at first, evanescent as filaments of gossamer, then as the buds opened, emphasizing itself, breathing deeper, stronger. An exquisite mingling of many odors passed continually over the mission from the garden of the seed ranch, meeting and blending with the aroma of its magnolia buds and punka blossoms. 
as the colors of the flowers of the seed ranch deepened, and as their odors penetrated deeper and more distinctly, as the starlight of each succeeding night grew brighter and the air became warmer, the illusion defined itself. By imperceptible degrees, as Vanamy waited under the shadows of the pear trees, the answer grew nearer and nearer. He saw nothing but the distant glimmer of the flowers. He heard nothing but the drip of the fountain. Nothing moved about him but the invisible, slow-passing breaths of perfume. Yet he felt the approach of the vision. It came first to about the middle of the seed ranch itself, some half a mile away, where the violets grew, shrinking, timid flowers, hiding close to the ground. Then it passed forward beyond the violets, and drew nearer and stood amid the mignonette, hardier blooms that dared look heavenward from out the leaves. A few nights later it left the mignonette behind, and advanced into the beds of white iris that pushed more boldly forth from the earth, their waxen petals claiming the attention. It advanced then a long step into the proud, challenging beauty of the carnations and roses, and at last, after many nights, Vanamy felt that it paused, as if trembling at its hardihood, full in the superb glory of the royal lilies, themselves, that grew on the extreme border of the seed ranch nearest to him. After this, there was a certain long wait. Then upon a dark midnight it advanced again. Vanamy could scarcely repress a cry. Now the illusion emerged from the flowers. It stood, not distant, but unseen, almost at the base of the hill upon whose crest he waited, in a depression of the ground where the shadows lay thickest. It was nearly within earshot. End of Book 2, Chapter 3, Part 2